Welcome to the One Gun Podcast. This is your host, Paul G, and I want to thank you for returning. I guess that means I didn't do too terrible a job on the first episode. And I want to thank you again for coming and giving me a listen and try to hear a little bit of what I have to say about things I've witnessed on my job as a power lineman. Um, did a lot of traveling around the whole continental U.S. while doing line work. was a very enriching experience. Um, again, I got pretty much visit every state in the continental United States. Uh, there's always tornadoes or hurricanes or ice storms. Just all kinds of wide array of things that causes mass power outages. Uh, when situations like that call, they call in contractors. And contractors, they'll drive from every state and swarm in and look like an army of worker ramps and just get everything back up and running as supposed to and safe for everybody to travel around. Some people refer to us as storm soldiers because basically lived to chase that storm it's usually the time you made your most money and had your best wages offered was on storm trouble because you pretty much were working 16 hour days every day uh, whenever you're out on storm trouble so long hours and very little sleep so when you get done with your 16 hour shift you still had to Go out and get your bite to eat and find your hotel room that you're going to stay in. And then by the time you take care of dinner and finding your hotel and getting your stuff to your hotel room, it's usually left you with maybe five to six hours if you're lucky for sleep because the next day you're going to turn around and be right back up for another 16-hour day. You're going to get up meet up at the trucks say about 5 30 a.m and then by 6 30 you want to be sitting down somewhere trying to get you a nutritious breakfast into you before the really long day goes to begin after you got done with breakfast usually uh you and your whole crew they'll round up into a spot on whatever the designated area that they're gonna set up and dispatch you to um, doing power line work is not as easy as just jump out there and jump on the line and start grabbing things. There's a lot of safety procedures in place. So when you get said staging areas, you know, they've got to figure out where they're going to send you. And then after they get you to your area, you're going to go around and assess the, what job you're going to have to do. Just try to kill time because, again, there's lots of safety procedures in. So you'll have what you call a bird dog with you. And basically his job is to go around and spot out damage. Not only does he kind of show you where the damaged areas are, his job's also to call in. He makes sure to let everybody know that you've got crew working on this area of the line there's got to be safety flags hung and you got to ground the lines make sure there's no chance of back feed because a lot of people in disasters like this 
they like to run backup generators and if generators not hooked properly and the meter is not either disconnected or the main breaker is not turned off it can send power in reverse back through the secondary lines through the transformers into the primaries and then you end up with what you thought was a dead line is a live line and if you're not fully suited up properly which a lot of linemen get lazy in storm trouble and they treat it like it's dead and instead of putting on their rubber gloves and their overshoes and everything to protect them from such events like that they end up getting electrocuted because the generators had backfed and what they thought was a dead line is actually energized now that being said those ground wires that I spoke of that's kind of what they're put in place for is to help protect against a situation like that um, theory is that if you got it all hooked together and sent into the ground line it'll short out the system and kind of help block too much juice from coming through on you it's not going to stop every bit of it from coming through but it at least gives you a chance um, but it's always better just not to take the chance so just put on your gear guys PPE is a big thing out there on the line and never shortcut um, another little saying we have out on the line is you are your brother's keeper so there's always usually somebody out there keeping an eye out on the what we call green guys guys just getting into the career path um, just learning it's mostly your groundmen and things like that you always want to keep an eye out for them because you are your brother's keeper y'all are all you have out there when you're on the line you need a hundred percent trust the people you're working with because um, every single little item you touch is basically they have your life in their hands if you're up in a bucket working they should be observing you you know making sure you're not running in pushing lines together with the bucket or um, maybe you miss something along the way or supposed to kind of look out for you and spot for that kind of stuff uh, it's kind of checking behind you I know a lot of people get aggravated about people telling them look you missed this or you missed that but in line work you only got one chance to get it right so you want to do it right the first time there's not a lot of second chances with line work but enough of that uh, we'll save stuff like that for another episode maybe I'll just do one on safety procedures and stuff like that later on down the road Today I want to more talk to you about Tuscaloosa, Alabama in 2011. Uh, we got a call on April the 28th. Um, a storm had came through. On April 27, 2011, there was 20... Oh, I'm so sorry. It was 62 confirmed hurricanes in an 18-hour period. Uh, they said it covered 1,200 miles and at least 240 people died or were injured during this storm. So, 
is pretty hectic. And I recall an elementary school. Um, I can't remember the exact name of the elementary school. I remember it, we were set up to stage at the school, but when we got there, this school was gone. There was a foundation where it used to hold up the walls to the school, but the rest of all the brick building and everything that went with it was just scattered. You know, normally in a tornado setting and stuff like that, they usually holler, you know, go to your schools, go to your gym. Thankfully, that school was not the town's shelter area um, but again the whole area was a pretty much a total loss because there was no buildings or anything left when we arrived we were in shock that we were even there because at this point when we rode into the town there was nothing it was just a debris field of the whole community's belongings, houses, vehicles. I seen trucks stuck in trees. Um, again, most of the houses around the area, there's nothing left of them. You could tell that there used to be something there, but it was like somebody came through with a gigantic leaf blower and just blew the whole neighborhood together in piles um, this particular area when we came in uh, we had from 9 o'clock a.m. to I think it was like 5.30 is all the time they gave us to do any of the work we were doing in the areas again because the devastation was so bad they literally brought in the National Guard and nobody was allowed in the secured areas and basically that whole community became one big lockdown. Um, even us as power linemen and all, we by 5.30 we had to be leaving out because if, after the military got in and National Guard got set up all around the perimeters of the area, if you were inside you were not getting out, and if you were moving around, you were going to be arrested for loiter, looting, and, and I understand why they brought them in, you know, trying to protect the people's stuff, but there literally wasn't hotels or anything for these people to go to, so you had a lot of people that were lucky enough to find a tent or something at a neighboring town's Walmart, because, again, they didn't have money or anything. They were just kind of up creek without a paddle because there was nowhere to stay. Uh, and I'm want to tell you, when 5:30 hit, all you seen was helicopters coming in. You had tanks rolling in, little uh, armor trucks like what a lot of SWAT units use. They had a lot of those. Uh, the flatbed trucks with the side rails they had soldiers all lined up on them and they literally locked down the whole community um, it it was definitely a sight to see I'd never seen 
with my own eyes a military force coming in to secure something like that i you know i've seen it on tv in your little war movies but it was like you were in a war zone the way they were coming in and i tip my hat to those guys because they did an awesome job protecting those people's things because as bad as it is you do have people out there that in a time of hurt and anguish like that they want to go in and loot and dig through people's personal belongings and properties and still uh, that's one quality i wish we as humans could get past and really come together for each other but you're always going to have that group of people that's just all for themselves and the way the devastation was i mean these people had no clue where any of their belongings and half of them didn't even know where their loved ones were there was a lot buried in the rubbles of the houses and we had already arrived we we strategically staggered back to where when we were heading into we would not catch the storm head on we kind of waited on it to pass before we come in um they were actually still searching for any and all survivors when we got there so we were <laughs> encouraged to keep eyes and ears open if heard any thumping noises uh screams for help or anything to please alert the fire department and search and rescue that was out on the field they had brought in dogs to help in, aid in the search of the debris to try to get to people as quick as possible because at this point you know they had been trapped for at least 10 12 hours just trying to get mobilized crews into them throughout shift through the debris and they literally had to take tractors and stuff to clear paths just to be able to ride through the areas you you didn't know what was a road or what was a driveway anymore it was so cluttered just clearing paths for us to even be able to drive our trucks down uh, figure out where we was going to put the new power poles and all um, I also recall that not only were their dogs looking for the survivors but they also had cadaver dogs out there and trying to locate the missing family members that weren't accounted for as well um, the one that sticks out to me the most is there was one pole we were working on and there was a storm drain beside it we kept noticing a smell of something but we wasn't quite sure what it was this two days after arrival um, it turned out that there was a really small child in the storm drain with his sibling um, I, I believe it was two little boys one child they said looked like he had died maybe immediately he had some abrasions and such on him but the other child they kind of figured that 
he just died from fear. Uh, it appeared that he had dragged a sibling into the storm drain with him. Um, I guess her parents taught him well in what to do in case of a situation. But just the sheer shock of it all was probably just too much for him to handle. I'm not a doctor, but I'm just basing it off of what it looked like when they were pulling it out to me. Um, but that's one of the most heart-ending, breaking, shattering things you can ever see is children getting pulled out of a situation like that. And I believe that's what really makes this storm stick as one of the worst storms i ever seen to me. It, it very easily could be either my number one or number two. I've never really sat down and tried to categorize them like that, but it's definitely top two storms as far as damage that I would consider the worst ever in my lifetime. But enough about that. I don't want to dredge too long on that part. So let's jump over to some of the more heartwarming things that I've seen while I was there. Um, Tide does this awesome thing they call Loads of Hope. And in big devastation areas like this, they basically bring in a bunch of tractor-trailer trucks. It's got washers and dryers in them. And you bring them your clothes and they'll wash them and dry them for you. Yeah. It's a really cool thing. Um, it A, it helps the community, and B, it even helps us as line workers as well because when we're out on storm troubles like that, we don't have time to go to the laundromat or anything like that. Nine times out of ten, you're tromping through mud or it's starting to rain left and right on you, so you go through your clothes pretty fast. Usually you pack your bag for five days, but you wish you packed for 15. That's about the gist of it, as quick as you have many clothes changes and all you have to do. <clears throat> so that Lads Toads of Hope is a really great thing. Um, again, they do it for the community, but for us, they come around to the uh, staging areas and they would walk around truck truck offering to take your bag and do your clothes for you and they'd give you a little ticket and give you a little netted bag to put all your clothes in and they take it and come by that evening and give them the ticket and they'd have your clothes washed dried and even folded in these bags um, a lot of great people that volunteers for that it is 100% nonprofit all volunteer nobody pays them to show up they're they're generally out of the kindness of their hearts uh, so thank you Tide for that one um, again like the loads of hope there's a few companies out there that makes living arrangements for situations like that as well if I remember correctly there was like 1100 tractor trailer truck camping units brought in and just to give you an idea you know how big a tractor trailer truck trailer is so you can imagine that in your mind we'll 
picture walking in that back roll-up door and on your left side and your right side you got bunk beds stacked three high head to toe from one corner all the way to the end so that helped provide shelter and sleeping arrangements and I mean it don't think of it like the actual tractor trailer truck would look they I mean they went through and they run little they went all out really because they had little air conditioning and heating pipes there that if you was hot you could turn it on and it would give you a cool breeze kind of kind of like what you have on your airplanes the little blower just blowing down on you there's a power receptacle on each bunk uh you know charge your cell phone and everything with set your alarm to get up in the morning uh, it really took everybody being respectful to work you know because you got you people that want to sit up and giggle at night and instead of being respectful and going outside they want to lay in the bed and do it but you know how it is then you've also got your snorers i'm one of them so can't hate it on too bad i'm part of the crowd that's the only really negative but to actually have a roof over your head and heater air they're all run off of big diesel generators that were brought in um keeping that in mind there also is a shower station that's under about the same design except instead of full of bunk beds you've got on one side of it be rows of showers and on the other side of the truck there will be rows of sinks so you come in and get all your hygiene taken care of after the day um i cannot remember what the name of this company is but in a few, I will come back to them for a future episode with the name because they really do deserve the recognition for what they do. Um, they're heck, they don't waste no time getting out to the scene, and I'm pretty sure they're a nonprofit as well. But I can't say that 100%. I know 100% the loads of hope was. But just the fact that they leave everything behind to load all this equipment and bring it down there and shelter people and help them get clean. It's a really good thing that a lot of people could really learn valuable lesson from watching those people and just spreading the love. And I'll tell you, I'm very much appreciative to everything I've seen from these guys because... I was one of them out in the dumps because the next step from those trailers sometimes is a catering tent. And and I'm going to tell you, in an ice storm, a catering tent is not the comfortable sleep. You depend on a generator to send you heat all night. and Sometimes some generators run out of fuel through the night. And if somebody didn't get to that generator on time, it's... A cold morning getting out of bed. <laughs> Didn't take you long to figure out the generator went out, though. I promise you that. But in those situations, they would pretty much bring in a lot of, like, army cots. And with, when I say a catering tent, I'm, they're pretty big tents. I mean, it's 
kind of like what you see, kind of like a circus tent, I guess you'd say, as far as space-wise inside of it. And you could probably fit 95 to 200 people on cots inside this area. So, but believe me, you're thankful for that because the third option from the tent is you're sleeping in the trucks. And later on down the road, I'm going to get into some stories of some of them that that's just what we had to do because there was absolutely no other options available at the time. Because again, we're coming in town to a devastated area, so the closest hotels and all usually are focusing on housing their locals that have the major need of the loss. And that's very understandable. And kind of them to do that for their people. And I love it whenever a community can come together like that. Um, then the other thing you have to look for in a situation like that is where's everybody going to eat? And literally, there are some great kind-hearted souls out there for that because there's many, many a catering company that come together um, under federal funding and they really get out there and I mean, it's not a big buffet or nothing like that, but I mean, a sandwich and some chips and things like that. And then you got places like Chick-fil-A and um, Subway. They, they really come through in situations like that. They'll pack up a bunch of boxes of food and send them out to everybody and... Believe me, you're thankful to see that box coming on a 16-hour workday. Sometimes you don't see that box lunch showing up till about 3 o'clock. And again, the whole area is destroyed, so everything's coming from neighboring communities. There's nothing coming in locally. So figuring out where to send all these meals and how to get them to the people, that's the real challenge. <coughs> So the federal program really helps you out on that feeding situation for sure because they set up staged areas kind of like the power companies do. And in these staged areas, there will be cases and cases of water and things of that ice. You know, the small necessities you're going to need to try to get through. Um, and again, in this situation... Even that luxury wasn't available because there was nothing left of the place. And honestly, I pray that that never happens to anybody like that again because the few that did make it out of that town were very, very lucky. And my heart really does go to them because there's quite a number of those 200 and some odd individuals. I think it was 260 individuals. 240, I'm sorry. They never found their loved ones. They were 
just buried so deep between all the debris and getting flung from the tornadoes. Uh, I, I just, my heart goes to them. I couldn't even imagine the thoughts that were in their minds through through the physical event happening to coming out of it and your whole life has changed. Um, not being able to find your loved ones is... It's a terrible, terrible situation for sure. And I pray that I never have to endure that scenario in my life. So with that being said, I think I'm going to put on a song for them and see where it goes. Give this a listen. This old classic from the 90s. A little bit of bone stugs in harmony. Seems fitting for a storyline. Everybody, and I'm gonna miss everybody. 
the stall Getting their sneeze instead of easy to fall You know I've been sitting there cause the intent And no nigga didn't win an end Wanna come again, again and again Tell me what you gonna do Can somebody, anybody tell me why Hey, can somebody, anybody tell me why We die, we die Right, so I guess one little thing I'd be trying to get out there in this message is really be there for your community. Um, in times like these, you really need to be there for each other because if you don't help your neighbors, then who's going to help y'all? Everybody's going to have to band together as one pull together and I know everybody has their differences and opinions but all that in times like these should be put aside um, I encourage everybody to get out there anytime something happens it, if nothing else donate a couple cases of water or something to send down because believe it or not that's life-changing for some of these people in these situations so I guess that's about all the love got for this one um, I don't really know where I want to go with the next episode yet but um, I think I'm gonna try to figure out some of the funner times that I had maybe do a remembrance of my buddy Dirty. He was a fellow line worker. Um, passed away a couple years ago with a heart attack. Went on a lot of storm troubles with this guy. Now and let me tell you, he was he was a piece of work. He was my brother to the end. Uh, rest in peace, Dirty. But uh, I don't want to type too much more of your time, and I really do appreciate you giving me just a few minutes to listen. And Again, my name is Paul G, and I am your host for the One Gun Podcast. And I'm going to do my best to get another episode out this week. But if push comes to shove, I'll see you next week. And remember... You are your brother's keeper. Look out for your neighbors, friends, family. Because you never know when you're going to need each other. Always keep an eye out anyways. Just because that's what we should do. Always be there for each other. Y'all have a good one and I'll catch you on the next episode.